Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If the Lord is calling you to do something, I have full confidence, not so much in us, but in Him. He knows how to finish a job. He's the author and finisher of the faith. He's not the author and like, well, I'll let you figure it out. Kind of a God. He's like, I'm going to see it through. I don't think I'll make it through. He's like, no, I'm going to see it through. He might have to drag us across the finish line, but God will see it through. Be strong. Finish the task. Have you ever been worried to start a task that God has called you to? Maybe it involves skills that you're not confident with, or maybe the sacrifice required to be obedient feels really big. Well, in today's message, Pastor James encourages you to trust God and be obedient. If he asks you to complete a task, you can rest assured that he's going to provide the resources, skills, and strength you need to complete it. Obey his instructions so that when you succeed, you can turn and give him the glory. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Chapter 8, verse 1. Let's look at this. It says, Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. I think God loves Jerusalem and the Jews, right? He does. Okay. And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion and I will live in Jerusalem Then Jerusalem will be called my faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk in Jerusalem's streets with their canes and sit together in the city squares. The streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. Okay, so what he's saying is, look, there's going to come a point in time in, in future, his, you know, future things <clears throat> where there will be peace, where the old and the young alike will be able to move freely throughout the city is what he's saying. Um, that's not a reality for them at this point in time because they're rebuilding. And in the midst of the rebuilding and everything, all you got to do is jump over to Nehemiah and you see that the enemy was constantly attacking them. Okay, Uh, and he wasn't always attacking them in ways that we think he's attacking them with uh, verbal jabs. What do you think you're doing? You're horrible. You're terrible. You can't do that. You're not qualified for that. That's what the enemy. That's one of his tactics. That's going to be one of his tactics in your life. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm a nobody. And he's like, well, uh, you just you just remove the ammunition from him. Okay, you're not qualified. I know. I know. Hey, isn't God amazing? Right. He can use somebody who is the least of these to do something incredible. Uh, But the enemy will always attack us. And and then in their scenario, they were were being confronted and they were discouraged and and it was an ongoing thing. And for the nation of Israel, it's going to be continual. But there will come a day where peace will reign supreme there. Verse 6, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's army? What is impossible for man is possible for God. Jesus said that himself in the Gospels. 
And here, here he is in Zechariah, and, and he's just letting his people know, like, oh, what seems impossible for you is actually possible for me. And, and we need to be reminded that that's how our God still works. You don't have a plan? You don't, have, you don't see a way out? Perfect. Stand back and be amazed at how at the right time, not yours, but at his right time, how he comes in and rescues you. And whatever that looks like, I'm not too sure, but time and time again throughout the scriptures, we see the great rescuer show up at the right moment. And he's like, yeah, impossible for you, possible for me. That's a God you want to serve. Somebody who can work beyond you and your limitations and all of that. Verse seven, though, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. You can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and just toward them as their God. The amazing thing about all of this is that Israel was so unfaithful to God, so unfaithful to him. And here's God. He's like, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to rescue you. I'll get, you know, I'll put you in this place. I'll give you peace. I'm going to be faithful to you. You people who have just continually been unfaithful to me from day one. From day, they didn't even leave Egypt and they were already displaying their unfaithfulness to God. Like it was already, there was already the tendency was there. But he's like, I'm going to be faithful to you. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, be strong and finish the task. Ever since the laying of the foundation of the temple of the Lord of Heaven's armies, you have heard what the prophets have been saying about completing the building. Before the work of the temple began, there were no jobs and no money to hire people or animals. No traveler was safe from the enemy, for there were enemies on, or enemies on all sides. I had turned everyone against each other. Amazing, where the Lord just comes alongside him and is like, look, just, you just got to keep going. Just keep going. It seemed bleak at the beginning, didn't it? Yeah, you didn't have money, did you? No, no, no money at all. Yeah, you didn't have much resources either, did you? No, not, not none at all, actually. He's like, exactly. But you still got to do the job. You still got to finish. Well, how? He knows how to provide. And he knows how to take care of it. If God calls you, and this, we can just use this as a perfect example. God had called his people back out of Babylon to Jerusalem, to Israel, and specifically to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. Don't you think he was going to make it happen? Don't you think he would supply all their needs? It's the same when Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and he said, we have to go to the other side. And then lo and behold, in the middle of the lake, there's a storm. And seasoned fishermen are like, we're going to die. But, but didn't he say we have to get to the other side? That's what he said. So don't you think if God says, hey, go and do this and I will be with you, it's going to happen. But Lord, I ain't got no resources. I know. You don't have to worry about that. But Lord, I think we're taking water in on the boat. Like, I think we're going to die. And Jesus is like sleeping, you know, he's, he's like not worried about it at all. If the Lord is calling you to do something, I have full confidence, not so much in us, but in him. He knows how to finish a job. He's the author and finisher of the faith. He's not the author and like, well, I'll let you figure it out. Kind of a God. He's like, I'm going to see it through. 
I don't think I'll make it through. He's like, no, I'm going to see it through. He might have to drag us across the finish line, but God will see it through. Be strong. Finish the task. It's a good word from Zechariah chapter 8. Verse 11, he says, but now I will not treat the remnant of my people as I treated them before, says the Lord of heaven's army, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. Again, this is not highlighting anything that these people are doing or have done. This is highlighting the grace of God. He's like, you were unfaithful. I brought you back. I put you where you're at right now. Oh, and, and I'm going to sow seeds of peace. And, and there will be prosperity among you. Oh, the grapevines that you had beforehand, they don't even compare to the grapevines that you'll have when, I, when I'm at work, is what the Lord is saying. Once more, I will cause the remnant of Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So do not be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple. I love that. New Living Translation, just bringing it, right? God's like, get busy. Get back to work. Get back to work. Like, go. You, you, you have the task. It's been how long? 14 years since the foundation has been laid? Like, we got to get back to it. Let's get back to it. The Lord, will, he knows how to supply your needs. He knows how to take care of you. And if anything good comes out of it, all glory goes to God. But here's just yet another command of the 365 times we're told throughout the scriptures, don't be afraid. And think about their context. They are, they've been commissioned by God to rebuild a temple. And they have grown weary in the work. They've grown weary in the work. And God's admonition to them is, don't be afraid. I'm not afraid, I'm tired. No, you're probably afraid. You're probably afraid. So don't be afraid. Be strong. Be of good courage is what he would tell them, is what he told Joshua. Be strong, be of good courage. Get back to work. Don't be afraid. Let's finish this thing, is what God's saying. He's like the best coach, right? Anybody play sports of any kind? And the good coach is the one who's like yelling at you and like, let's finish this thing. The bad coach is like, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, yeah, you guys are worse than I thought, right? You know, it's like, that's not, I don't want to play for that kind of a coach. I want to, I want a coach who like can instill within us just passion and courage and just a, a tenacity to like, no, we're going to go and fight. And this is what God's doing with his people. And let's, let's get back to work. Let's finish what we started. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. I was determined to punish you when your ancestors angered me. And I did not change my mind, says the Lord of heaven's army. But now I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah. So don't be afraid. There it is again. Just a reminder. Do not be afraid. But this is what you must do. Speak the truth to each other. Tell the truth to each other. Be honest with each other. Render verdicts in your, own, or in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. In other words, stop taking advantage of people. 
Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth, right? So be honest. Treat each other with dignity and respect in your dealings with each other. Don't take advantage of each other. This was a common thing. We've seen this time and time again throughout these minor prophets. The rich were taking advantage of the poor constantly. And God's like, not having any more of that. You will be open and honest with each other. You're not going to embellish your stories anymore. And you you are going to speak truth to one another. And you're not going to take advantage of each other. And in fact, he closes out that verse with, I hate all these things, says the Lord. He's like, I hate all of it. I hate deceit. And I hate, you know, people taking advantage of other people. It's time for that to stop. Verse 18, here's another message that came to me from the Lord of Heaven's army. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The traditional fast and times of mourning you have kept in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and a celebration for the people of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. This is really cool. Um, Sorry, if you're reading from a different translation, you're probably having a hard time keeping up. But uh, there's some elements in this that New Living Translation actually gets right. And some of the other translations don't really get it all that great. Okay, I'm just saying, I know I'm a big NLT guy, um, but sometimes they get it right. And sometimes New King James doesn't. Okay, I'm just going to say that. I know I'm not making friends, but that's fine. Um, Sometimes NLT gets it wrong, too. I get it. But uh, anyway, so. Love, truth, and peace. What, what I love about this, taking the times of uh, traditional fast and mourning, I wrote this little side note here. In the midst of brokenness, discouragement, and heartbreak, God can do a renewed work of transformation. He can take days of mourning and turn them into days of celebration. And that's what he's saying to the people. He's like, I know when you, when you were in Babylon, you set aside for each quarter of the year or each season of the year a time of fasting and mourning. He's like, now those are parties. Now those are celebrations. Why? Because you're not in Babylon anymore. You're not a captive anymore. You've been set free. So when you once mourned for these things, now I want you to celebrate now. Christians are really bad at partying. We just are. We're horrible at it. The world's got us beat. Let's be honest. We have every reason to party in a good way, by the way. Um, but we don't. We don't. This was my main complaint of against the church when I was in the world. I was like, we party all the time. Church people are boring. There's no parties. You guys are, we walk around with these gloomy faces as if like some tragedy has happened to us. Yet the reverse is true for us. The greatest thing in the world has happened to us. We are going to heaven, the best place ever. And we mean mug each other all the time, right? We're just like, what are you so grumpy about? Now, I get it. Don't be happy slappy all the time or put on a fake smile or anything like that. But here God in his word is like, you should be partying. You should be celebrating, well, that's just not, that's not holy. Wait, wait, the holy God just said, I want you to turn your mourning into celebration. Well, but that's for these people. That's not for us because good Christians don't get happy, right? And you're like, where is that at in the Bible? Like, where is that? Am I missing a, a chapter or something? Like, was there some book that wasn't included in my Bible, my translation here? Because I've never, ever seen that from God. Never. 
Yet I have felt that from churches. I have. No, 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 we don't. Well, we don't do that. Why? Why not? I think, I think the church is going to be the most shocked people in heaven. Probably more specifically, the Church of America. We're going to get there, and we're going to, probably most people in it are going to wonder if they're in the wrong place. They're like, wait, wait, did I get something wrong? Because this is totally different than what I thought. Oh, yeah, you missed out. God is a God of, yes, there, there's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to celebrate. There's a time for fasting, but there's also a time of partying and celebrating. And heaven does it all the time. It does it all the time. It does it in, in ways in which the church is just really not good at. Prodigals will return home. And the church is like, I wonder how long that'll last. Heaven's like throwing a party. An unbeliever will get saved. I wonder if that was real. I wonder if that actually will stick. Is oftentimes what happens in the church. And the heaven celebrates. I, I want to be in tune with what's happening in heaven. So when the lost get saved or the lost are found, I want to throw a party. I want to celebrate. I want to practice for heaven. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like as far as when the Lord comes back and if I'll be up there before a rapture or however the end times work, I don't know. But man, if I'm up there before it's all said and done down here, there's going to be a lot of parties happening up there, a lot of celebration. And this doesn't mean that we're like, you know, blind to realities around us and the pain and the suffering that's happening within our world. Not at all. But we always, as Christians, will have a reason to celebrate. We always have a reason to celebrate. There's a time to, to be brokenhearted and there's a time to mourn. And what, whatever breaks God's heart, I want that to break my heart. Whatever grieves him, I want to be grieved by the same thing. Like, I want to be moved in the same way. But man, when he's celebrating, I want to celebrate too. And I just love these reminders because they're, they're sprinkled all throughout the scriptures. Where the Lord's like, it's time to take off the sackcloth. It's time to throw a party. The prodigal is coming home. The father is off the porch running to the prodigal slaughtering a fatted calf and all sorts. I mean, it's barbecue time. It's like, get Ray on a smoker and it, like, let's, let's go down. Let, you know, let's, let's have a party, a celebration. Why? Because that's a victory. That's a win. So we want to celebrate those things. I say that because I don't want us to get into that mode of like, not rejoicing when we should be rejoicing. You know, if we go out to the Gulf and we baptize people, man, we should be the loudest people on the beach celebrating. If somebody comes forward at the end of a service and gives their life to the Lord, this room should erupt with celebration. It just should. Because that's what's happening in our actual home, heaven. So here God is telling his people, he's like, yeah, I know you fasted. I know you mourned during those seasons in Babylon, but you're not in Babylon anymore. You're not in Babylon anymore. Now, side note, fasting is a discipline that should be practiced by Christians. You should fast, okay? Whatever that fast looks like for you, set that up between you and God, okay? If that's 
skipping lunch one day a week so that you can take that time to read and pray, do that. Take a whole day. I don't know. Fast from this or fast from that. Fasting is a discipline that Christians should practice. Jesus said, when you fast, not if, but when. So that means we need to fast. This is not saying you should never fast. This is just saying these guys were grieving and in a time of mourning because they got spanked by God. He used Babylon to take them captive. And so they were mourning during that process. So the, the fasting and all that, it was welcome there. Now we know from earlier passages, they weren't really doing it right because it was more about them and not about God. He's already called them out on that, okay? So that's a good reminder for us too. But we should fast so that, that we're exercising this spiritual discipline within our lives. But you're not in Babylon anymore, so to speak. You're no longer, you're, you're not a captive anymore. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been set free. Fast because you want to put your flesh into submission and it doesn't have power and control over you. You want to use that time to grow closer to the Lord. Do those things. But don't sacrifice a time of celebration either. Like celebrate. Praise, you know, worship is not just what happens on the stage. Worship is how we live our lives in adoration towards God and celebrate. Just celebrate when you can, okay? Just do that. Be happy. Make people wonder, like, what is wrong with you, okay? That's a great question when people ask you that. Like, what is wrong with you? I, I just love the Lord, Jesus. He set me free. So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. And I, I'm so happy about it. I actually would like you to be happy about that. So I would want you to be set free. The world needs to see that. Because if they walk by here all the time and they look in the windows and it looks like a funeral home, they're not coming in. They don't want to be here. But if there's like this Holy Spirit joy, well, people, especially in our day, people are looking for hope. They're desperate for hope. So if they see us and they're like, we love each other and we care about each other and we care about our neighbor and all that, people will be attracted to that. Verse 20, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of Heaven's armies and to ask for his blessing. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, 10 men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. This is what you want. As the people of God, you would hopefully your goal would be that people would seek you out to be like, hey, I think you know him. Like, can I, like, how do I know your God? Like, that's a great thing. And this is ultimately, I think a lot of this is future for specifically for Jerusalem. But I think there's a, a good practical application here for believers today. You want people seeking you out. Why? Not for yourself, but because of who you're connected to. If you're connected to Jesus, you would want people to, to seek you out, so to speak, and maybe tug on your sleeve and be like, hey, I, I want what you have.
Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.